What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, tea industry executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Please enjoy a Mindful Work conversation with resilience and preparedness expert, Anna Marie Jones. Anna Marie was the longtime executive director of the Bay Area's only disaster preparedness organization focused solely on disadvantaged communities. So tell me what you're saying about the messaging. Like, not only. I think masking is going to go down in history as like the biggest mistake we've ever done because of the, what has happened because we just didn't understand masking. And the truth is, we have spent our entire adult lives being told you can't go into a business with like no shirt, no shoes, you would get no service. Now, right. when breathing on people could literally kill them, we are like, oh no, you're impinging on my freedom to ask me to not kill people with my little droplets. And it was the simplest thing that we could do and poor people could do it. I mean, we're not asking people to wear fancy masks, but almost anything is going to help you not share your germs. And virtually anything is going to help you to stop the accidental and habitual touching, right? Uh-huh. We tend to be people who touch our faces, right? We, you know, we pick things from our teeth, we rub our noses, we, if an eyelash gets in your eye, you don't think twice about reaching out and, you know, just taking it out of your eye, right? That's just right. normal. So if you mask up, you're actually helping yourself, you're helping the world. And oh my God, it's so cheap. I mean, who doesn't have an old crappy t-shirt? I mean, is there anyone who doesn't have an old crappy T-shirt? No, no, absolutely. And 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 like you said, I mean, the idea that it's become a that we can fly planes over hospitals to honor first responders, but damn you if you tell me to wear a mask because freedom slash America. Yep. Like we we definitely lost. Yeah, we 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 lost something big with not getting on that message early. It's a very so scratching my face right now. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing is that we do yeah. this all the time. So literally anything could help you to not infect yourself. So going back to January, like if you could, if you could turn back time, like share, what would be the first and most important thing you would have done like in January? Like what would you have done differently? And just from like everything you know about pandemics and all your trainings, like what would be the first thing that you would have done from a messaging standpoint? Like obviously public policy, whatever, but just from a, Communications, messaging, knowing what you know about communicating pandemics, what would you have done? Um, a, a few things. Number one, to let people know that we actually know how to do this, right? We forget oh, yeah. that we, we did this. And in fact, most people don't remember that we actually had Ebola in this country, but we did the right things. We shut it down. So we actually have some muscle in doing this. So one, let people understand that we know how we can do this. And then at the very simplest end, this is how we can protect ourselves, our economy, the people we hold dear by doing this very simple thing of, of covering and masking. And then I would have asked every business, everyone who could do this to do a few things with um, making hand washing accessible, right? Mm. Um, Really for some businesses, it's as simple as string a hose out in front of your business so that, people could wash their hands 
literally at the street corner before they go into a business. If everybody okay. has been covering their faces and just obsessively washing their hands, I think we could have changed the entire trajectory of this. So, I mean, from a messaging standpoint, how do you, it seems like the horse is way out of the barn as far as how this has been defined. And I remember uh, Kristen Grimm from Spitfire, who's one of my mentors, used to always say the hardest thing to do isn't to frame an argument, but is to reframe an argument, right? So the conversation is already now in a safety is more important than, than safety, right? So what do we know from your, you know, 20, 30 years in the preparedness movement and as a thought leader, what do we know can help reframe the, the conversation to something more productive like what you just talked about? I think we could all take on reframing it for the people in our circle. It's very hard to reframe um, our national conversation at the moment, given the level of splits and politics, but yeah. I think everyone can find some common ground and okay. and really focusing on what's going to help you keep yourself safe, your family, your community, and giving people um, a bigger and longer term perspective on this. If we look okay. at the countries that did this well and they shut things down quickly and you know they're they're going to do better on every level they've got they don't have the level of death we have they don't have the level of business disruption that we have um and moving forward we're looking at the second wave right we, yeah. we're seeing this we're seeing it happen and we're not good at we're not good learners and mm. and we could make this not happen this whole second wave thing and but we need to start using our personal influence mm -hmm. and really if you can just get everybody's little inner circle like okay can we keep each other safe can we make sure that we aren't doing this um and certainly we should be teaching kids yeah. how to do this because this isn't going to be the last time this happens i mean we know that we absolutely yeah. know that so why not have them now understand this and honestly have hand washing and face covering and innovation with uh, personal protective gear. That's what we need. We're going to need a lot of it because this is not going to go away on its own. We yeah. have to make this not take over our economy and our lives and our families. So everything I know, again, I'm touching my face. Everything I know about um, communicating with marginalized communities, um, communicating messaging, especially health messaging and preparedness messaging to communities of color, um, impoverished communities, I've learned from you. And I guess as you think about sort of how the impacts of COVID have been so disproportionate, um, state by state, you can go through the numbers. Um, I wonder just lessons from your years of running a nonprofit focused on empowering communities of color, empowering impoverished communities to, to take leadership in these moments. I wonder just a couple of lessons maybe you've learned or that you would hope that could be applied now um, in this pandemic and in anything that might come down the road. Um, certainly the whole piece about getting leaders from communities to be the mouthpiece for this. Okay. Um, for years, that's what we worked on at uh, my old agency card. So helping 
whether it's faith leaders or leaders of different movements to incorporate this messaging appropriately in their own messaging. So they're not just being a push or, you know, whatever the CDC or the who said, you know, we're talking about how do they incorporate it into their business? How do they incorporate it into how they address everything, right? So that it's normalized in the most intimate ways in these communities. I'm sure you could do a very fast Google search and come up with all of these religious gatherings where they were deciding they were going to bring people together because somehow, you know, they knew better. I I think we needed to do a lot better with reaching religious communities and people who choose to gather based on particular interests, right? Whatever your interest is, I don't care how niche it may be. I don't care how weird it is. You could get your freak on however you want to get your freak on, but get your people to yeah. embrace the messaging, how the messaging will actually work for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that would do so much for everyone uh, because right now, every time a message comes out and it doesn't matter how benign or how sensible it is, yeah. someone's got something to say about it. And suddenly everybody's a doctor. I'm like, really? Have you ever even gone to a basic public health class? Washing hands is one of the best ways to stop disease transmission. Just like you could look across the world. Oh. Are we not going to learn this lesson eventually? And and the reality is is that we have lots of examples of once you do that, once you have rabid hand washing, and I mean you're good at it. You wash your hands. You do the. I don't care whether you sing Happy Birthday. I don't care if you make up your own affirmation. But you know you're really doing it, and you're doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Lots of good things come out of that. So to reframe it to the positive, because I'm shamelessly interested in having this whole conversation be a positive, right? Have it be a positive additive for all communities. So if we come out of this pandemic with Mm. fabulous hygiene skills, I mean, off the charts hygiene skills, that would be a win, right? That would be a total win. Absolutely. If we could get messaging down where at least we know how to spread messages appropriately, that would be a win. I mean, these are long-term big wins that if we focused on them now, we Mm -hmm. could actually make the second wave less of a wave or take out the wave. And moving forward, we would be stronger. We would be better. We would be healthier, right? And um, that would be a a win. Out of all of this stuff that is so hard to deal with, that would be a win. There's, I I think if I look back, it's at least... uh, 15, 20 years, we know each other. And ever since I first met you, you've been preaching something um, called fear-free communications. And it's something that we not only adopted at FCP, but we train our clients in that approach. And I wonder just where did that come from? What does it mean? How did you use it in your, um, in your community messaging um, when you were the head of the, uh, the head of card and we'll talk about card in a minute, but you know, where did it come from and then how did you sort of deploy it? Cause I, I think it's such a powerful tool. Uh, thank you. Um, the fear free part really came from talking to community leaders. And when you talk to community leaders about whether it's earthquakes, floods, fires, it didn't matter. They had other things that were far greater concerns. It was a luxury if you're in a, a poor community and you're wondering where your next meal is coming from, 
it's a luxury to think about the earthquake that could happen in 30 years, right? Yeah. So to come to them with this big conversation of catastrophic earthquake and the horrible things that could happen. And if you don't have food and you know, all of that, all that fear, all of that anxiety, all of that stress, it was so inappropriate. So yeah. if you just sat back and looked at the conversation from the perspective of, hmm, what would help this group embrace these behaviors? Mm. And none of it is from that negative place. And all of it is helpful to them, empowering to them. And you're not going to empower people threatening them, right? Think of how you feel if somebody comes and threatens you, yeah. right? And that's what the messaging felt like to them. It was just one more official, one more group telling them about how screwed they would be if they didn't do what they were told. Sure. And that was really just the, the guiding force in that. And um, I grew up being a little preparedness nerd because when my little sister was born, my parents said, your job as a big sister is to keep your little sister safe. So I grew up thinking preparedness was a very positive, loving thing, right? Yeah. I was getting a little sister and my parents were proud of me for taking care of my little sister and keeping her safe. And adults used to always comment about how I was wise beyond my years and, you know, isn't it wonderful and, and all of that. So for me, preparedness was personally a positive, absolutely empowering topic. And so when I would share preparedness from that perspective, I would periodically, um, especially at the front end of doing this 25, 30 years ago, I'd have people in the audience crying. Yeah. And, and it was because they had spent a lifetime with fear, a lifetime feeling like any minute something terrible could happen. So for someone to give them a way forward and they got to feel smart and they got to feel proactive and they got to feel like, yes, I can protect my family. It was really moving. So we basically just started packaging that. So it was, okay, what's going to empower this community? What's going to help that community weave it into how they think and how they do things? So when we would talk to a church, right, I would, very first thing, if they called and said they wanted a training, I would, you know, go and read up on that church, right? Read up on that particular church, but also what are the customs inside that faith? Mm -hmm. And then where can we weave in preparedness and actions and activities that are actually something they already do? And it was magical. I mean, absolutely magical. People were like, oh, of course we can do that. Yes, because you already do do that. So that really just caught on and um, bringing that sort of MacGyver approach to it where you don't have to go out and buy stuff, right? You don't need hundreds of dollars to buy a kit and get a kit and stuff it. You could probably take a backpack that you've already got, some little duffel bag and walk around your house and pull a bunch of things together. And then teaching people like a hundred ways you could use a zip top bag and a hundred ways. They absolutely loved it because Everybody wants to be smart and innovative and creative. Yeah. And, and you know, you're, you feel good. You feel good when it's done, right? You feel like you've learned something. You feel like, yeah, I can handle this. So they were willing to do the next step because the first step had been happy. The, the, the approach of telling you about all the horrible things that could possibly befall you and your family is kind of a game stopper right at the front level. You had to push past that and have the resources. And I don't just mean financial resources. Mm -hmm. You need to have the emotional resources, the time to get into that. 
And yeah, I've, I've seen it happen over and over where they go to a preparedness class where the person who was pushing it was a genuine prepper. I mean, they were into it and they had thousands of dollars worth of stuff and kits and classes and the people left like, uh, yeah, I am yeah. not, yeah, I am not putting my time, my money, my effort into that. And if that's what it takes, I am not going to be prepared. Yeah. So, you know, it's shameless, shameless, always thinking of the positive, always listening from how is this conversation landing on this person, right? How, how can you go to a homeless community and tell them about a kit, yeah. right? You're, you're talking homeless people, right? How can you go to people where their biggest threat is their in-home healthcare person not showing up in the morning? Yeah. Right. Where they literally would not have the person who could feed them toilet, you know, and do basic survival things. That was the threat. So yeah. it, it's just it's thinking differently and go for shameless positive. I mean, I'm a preparedness possibilitarian. You know, you, I just <laughs> believe if we embrace it from that spirit, mm-hmm. we can prepare for virtually anything. And I want us to leave this pandemic stronger, smarter, better more united than we have ever been before with awesome skills like hand washing and PPE and masking. And always know the importance of a Sharpie and the 8,000 things you taught me you can do with a Sharpie. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to play a little game because that would be kind of awesome. So what I want to do is I want to take a poorly framed, poorly written argument slash comment that people have been making during this pandemic and I want you to help me communicate it in a fear-free way. Okay. okay? I want to go outside, but I can't. I'm not allowed to. How can I think about how to communicate that in a more positive, fear-free way? Um, well, I don't know who would be uh, saying the message. And that actually depends. That, that is what would sure. determine it. So Mom it- of three young kids. Awesome. So a mother of three young kids who really wants to go outside, but she says she's not allowed to, I would, one, if I'm having the personal conversation, it's Mm -hmm. like, well, what do you mean by you're not allowed to? Because everyone is allowed to do the necessities, right? If you need food, if you need to get medicine, you are most certainly allowed to do that. It isn't, and I would try very hard to reframe it away from it being about what you're allowed to do. It's What's in the best interest of your children right now? Is it a good idea to take your kids out? Are you willing to risk that? Right. And some people do feel that young people aren't as uh, at great, at great risk. And Mm -hmm. one, that's not so. And you can still be a little vector. You can still do that. Sure. Um, So getting them to really see what is really necessary and, you know, it's kind of the short-term gratification, long-term gratification thing. Yep. Yeah, on the short term, it might feel great to go out and get a little sun and take a walk. Is that really in your best interest? Are you really able to mask yourself properly and get the kids in? I'm, I mean, this is that opportunity. Have the kids do great things indoors. Mm-hmm. You know, pick projects that you have never done before, right? And And some people have that bandwidth and some people don't. But I would absolutely try to get away from the sensitive of I'm not allowed to. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you're allowed to do the necessities. It is the risking your life and others that we are actually trying to stop. Sure. Um, Let's try another one. Is that okay? This is fun. 
Uh, okay, angry grandma who can't see her grandkids or isn't allowed to see her grandkids. What do we say to grandma? Oh, that just shows how much you love your grandkids, that you yeah. want to see them so badly. And one of the things that will be wonderful is that day when you're finally able to hug them safely. And I absolutely know you would not want to do anything that would jeopardize them. And so that's the little bit of sacrifice we, we make now. Yeah. So that when we do get to see each other and hug and kiss and share meals and break bread, we can do that safely. But I know you wouldn't want to be the one to endanger your, your grandkids and to show them what it means to, to do the right thing for family. And the truth is some people are much more willing to, to take that, that role, right? Yeah. I'm not doing it for myself. I am doing it for others. And there are many lessons I believe we could have learned from our greatest generation because we weren't nearly so whiny. Yeah. I mean, really, the level of yeah. whiny that we hear now, you know, really people getting very, very upset because someone has said, you should cover your, you know, your killer face. You know, it's like, <laughs> really, the level of fights, people are being threatened with violence. A security guard was killed over this yeah. because people didn't want to put a mask on. I mean, that level of entitled whininess is really being inflamed right now. And yeah. like, we should we should really be pulling from generations that knew how to sacrifice, that knew how to do the right thing. If not for themselves, you do it for the next generation, right? Yeah. You, do it, you do it so that your kids will be safe, so that they will be healthy, so that we can be together again. And I would just keep reframing it away from that oppressed feeling. And, you know, I'm pissed. Well, disappointed and angry right now is so much better than sick is so yeah. much better than being in mourning for someone you love, right? Yeah. Right now, those are the hard choices, but we've made hard choices before and we can make them again. So this is kind of another snap question, but also just sort of, I wanted to hear you put in the context of everything else you've learned and taught through the years. Um, the economic devastation around this pandemic has been just enormous. And so rather than ask sort of a flippant question about, hey, I own a pizza parlor or, hey, I own a women's clothing store, just how have you always thought about balancing the public health needs and the sort of economic needs and the sort of, how have you thought about it as a communicator? Um, a, a few things. Number one is, yes, it's going to be an economic blow because that's the way it works when suddenly businesses can't open. And that doesn't mean that we can't unite behind the message and really work and pressure our government to do the right thing with the enormous level of resource we have in this country. Yeah. Right. And, and I realized that crosses into sort of that weird political realm that this conversation keeps unfortunately falling into, but it is the truth. We have a choice as to how the U S spends its incredible level of resource and mm -hmm. we could decide to make sure humans and businesses are able to move forward. Other countries have done it, they are doing it, and we have way more resources. We certainly could, and I think we should, but I don't think we should be foolhardy. And I think if everyone, if we could genuinely have this as a national conversation where it's like, okay, I get it. If we want to have a functioning economy, 
we're going to need to do things like rabid levels of hand washing and PPE and that level of social agreement, right? When that happens, we'll be able to do certain things again. Will we be able to fully open up everything and go back to what was before? Probably not for a while, if ever. But we could certainly have, you know, our businesses begin to open if we are willing to do it properly. But doing it with no plan, doing it with people who still think it's okay to walk around breathing on everything and to basically think that that's somehow impinging on their freedom to ask them not to kill people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's literally what it has turned into. And so long as we are still fighting about that, then we're going to have a hard time addressing our economic needs. But we could open the economy in a structured and safe way if we could get that level of agreement. And we just don't have it yet. We don't have that. We are literally still fighting about, you know, it's my right to go barefaced. I'm like, oh, great. But by all means, let's, let's make sure that you can show your face and all these businesses have to stay closed. What a grand idea that is. You know, it's, we, are, we are genuinely still having that conversation. Yeah. That one definitely got away from us. I think we still have a lot of work to do on that. Yes. And I do believe years from now, we will be having every communication class is going to center on things like that. Like what does early messaging look like? What does messaging for diverse communities look like? How do we make it so that people are prepared with the appropriate arguments and retorts and reframing because that's where this just i mean it got out the gates and man it was gone and before you knew it it was this incredibly politicized crazy conversation when it was a very very simple conversation about hey you can make yourself safer we can keep each other safe we can make this not be as hard and we had weeks and weeks and weeks of a view of other places, right? This wasn't going wild in some place where they were off the grid. We saw what was happening in China. We saw what was happening in Italy, right? We knew. So we could have done it, but we, we lost that messaging window. And I'm just suggesting that if we can get the agreement and the messaging right, we would be able to open up differently. And if we had that level of agreement, we might be able to have government resources deployed more effectively to stop the pain that many businesses and many people will feel. So um, I guess I've, I could do this for hours. I love talking to you. Um, I guess maybe just sort of a final question is just, we didn't do an introduction at the start, partly because um, we weren't planning on doing this and partly because you and I know each other so well, but I wonder would you mind, you talked a little bit about being a childhood um, prepper nerd, mm-hmm. um, but I wonder maybe just talk just a little bit about your journey and about CARD and about sort of what lessons you're taking moving forward in your consulting and other work that you're doing. Awesome. Uh, yeah. As I said, I was uh, definitely a little weird preparedness child, but when uh, the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake happened, I had moved to California um, March of that year. So wow. when the um, earthquake happened, it was very clear, okay, this is now my new full-time obsession. So I worked with lots of different places. I was with Red Cross. I was with the Governor's Office of Emergency Services. I've done private consulting. Right now, I'm the Chief Resiliency Officer for a company called Interpro. 
And basically my entire thing is how do we make preparedness a different conversation? Preparedness has always been the unloved, unfunded stepchild of the big, sexy, shiny disaster response. And that is not where it needs to live. So my my goal in life is transforming preparedness into a shamelessly positive, accessible conversation for everyone, with the emphasis being starting at level of the most vulnerable. So literally take the most vulnerable people, help them to embrace this conversation, have those solutions bubble up. Um, and moving forward, I would certainly do more stressing. And some people would say, how can you stress it more? But yes, I would find a way to stress more about the importance of the positive messaging, right? Um, And making this an uplifting, positive thing. And truly, even in the face of all of this tragedy with the pandemic, we could emerge from this so much better. We could literally come out of this stronger, healthier, more united, if we are willing to look and to do that. And if we could get different communities to express it in their language, in their terms, it would be a mosaic of different ways of looking at it, but all of them would lead us collectively to a stronger, healthier, more united community. And that's my my goal right now. It's awesome. Uh, well, as always, this has been amazing to catch up with you and talk about talking to the right person at the right time in the right moment with the right message. Um, I hope our friends out there have learned at least a couple of things from us today. Um, if you want to find Anna Marie online, Anna Marie, will you just share your social media handles so people can find you? Sure. I am almost always Ms. Ducktape, M-S-D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E. So on LinkedIn, on Facebook, I am Ms. Duct Tape, which is a name that has stuck with me for the last 30 years, so I think I'll keep it. Excellent. Well, maybe someday I can be Mr. Sharpie. Yeah, right. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. It was awesome to talk to you. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye.